Blog Talk Radio. Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse. My name is Bill Murray. I'll be your host this evening, and I'm coming to you live from Los Angeles, and I am myself a child abuse victim and recovery. In recovery. Uh, with us tonight is a new person to our group uh, who has not told her story on this venue before, and that's wonderful because, you know, she's, um, she's just making a contribution uh, by adding her story to the many stories that we've done. I think we're up to episode, about 3,100 episodes of this style, and then we did 650 of another style, too. So a lot of, a lot of episodes. We, we know what we're doing. <laughs> um, and um, I just want her to know that we are keen to the fact that when you're telling your story for the first time in a, in a venue like this, it's often, uh, it's often uh, scary. You know, it's, you may have nerves and nerve problems and so forth, but um, we all did it. We all will recognize this. Um, and as we go through the show, which will start in a few minutes, we don't press people to tell more than they want to tell or or to, to open up more than they want to open up or, or to beat up somebody in their life or anything like that. I sometimes say we're not the Jerry Springer show, and indeed we're not. We're... Um, much more gentle with that. And with our guest tonight, I'm going to do that too. If there's anything that we uh, come, the guest um, is asked that they're not comfortable answering, all they have to ever say is, well, I'm, not, I'm really not comfortable with that, and we move on to the next thing. It's simple as that. Well, let me tell you a little bit about the radio show, and then we'll start uh, with our guest. Do we have a single purpose in NASCA to address issues related to child abuse, and trauma, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional traumas, and neglect, and we do so with only two goals. One, educating the public, especially as related to getting society over its taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse, which is abbreviated CSA, presenting facts showing child abuse to be pandemic-wide and a problem that affects everyone. And two, offering hope and healing to numerous paths, providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse, 
and information for anyone interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. NASCA itself is a nonprofit organization that's comprised of volunteers. We're all volunteers, uh, and nothing. We don't charge. We never charge anything for anybody. Uh, we we have many uh, tools and projects that we have. Thirty or so of them, more or less, and um, and also the radio show here. And we have a recovery group that's on Zoom three times a week. And that's you can find the information about this on the front page of our website which is at naasca.org, nasca.org, that's how we pronounce it, nasca, naasca.org. And there you'll see the listing of the shows that we've done and the shows that are coming up, and uh, and you'll see our host and you'll see our guests, and oh, man, it's, it's a lot of work to keep this going. But uh, in the in the menus, across the top of the page, well, third of the way down, um, when you hover your mouse over the uh, blocks, that, that these are menus, and they drop down into blue blocks, and each one of them is a section of the website. So we have a lot of information, <laughs> a lot. And it's all for you, uh, and it's one of the things we can do for the community of child abuse victims. And after all, all we really do when it's in the simplest terms is we help each other. We're a community of that. And we call ourselves the NASCA family. So without further ado, let me bring on our special guest and let me welcome Amanda Carpenter from Idaho to the NASCA family. And really, we're very grateful, Amanda, that you're here and with us for the first time on the radio show. So thank you so much. You are welcome. Hi. Hi. Um, we, we're uh, going gonna to have you tell, you know, your story. And as I say, you don't have to tell every little, you know, scrap of story. <laughs> and you can, um, you can avoid using any, any part of your story that's uncomfortable for you at this point. And this is very common, by the way, Amanda. Many people, um, you know, sort of eventually earn a little more um, stability and courage and so forth as they go along. But the first time you tell your story here, everybody is nervous, believe me. And um, it's absolutely okay. Plus, I know that in, in your case, we're going to talk about this, you um, didn't remember it all at first. So, you know, this is another I phenomenon that many people have where they um, they have a sense of what happened perhaps or they have a – or they have a period of time when they know something happened to them. They have a long period of time when they don't know what happened, whatever it is. And uh, typically, a person acquires more knowledge of their child, their childhood life and the, and the suffering they went through, frankly, um, as, they, as they continue to tell their story in different venues. <clears throat> um, I have one more person to introduce, Amanda, and then we'll get started with your story. And this is Lori. Lori Purcell is from Long Island. She's a longtime member of NASCA, and uh, she's joining us tonight so, so that we have a panel. Uh, uh, she's, she's our panelist right now, but of course we could use more. <coughs> I'll give out the phone number in a second. But Lori knows what she's doing, so she's going to uh, assist us both in doing this show. And she may have questions or comments, Amanda, that uh, as we go through this, uh, that we welcome her to to jump in with. Lori, thank you for being here tonight. I really appreciate it. 
You're very welcome. I'm looking forward. I always look forward to first-timers when they come on here. So welcome aboard, Amanda. (laughs) Thank you. I have the same feeling. I don't think there's any more special show than a show where someone's basically telling a story for the first time. But anyway, um, that's 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 what we're going to do. And tonight we, we um, open the, the the panel line too, uh, so that you can call in and and participate by asking a question or making a comment throughout the show. The number to dial is six four six five nine five two one one eight. Six four six five nine five two one one eight. And I want the audience out there to be feel free to to call in and. We're going to pause uh, several times during the show, I suppose, and give them an opportunity to uh, ask a question or make a comment. But without further ado, let me go back to Amanda and get started here. Amanda, um, you were um, you were one of how many kids in the family? There were two of us. Yeah. Mhm. Mhm. Okay. Yeah, me, and, myself, and um, a brother. Yeah. Got it. It's the same with my family, a brother and a sister. Um, I was the brother, by the way, in case you wanted. <laughs> 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 All right. Um, why don't you tell us, um, I know some of this happened when you were quite young. Uh, so why don't you start with that? We'll, we'll do this more or less chronologically. How's that sound? And um, okay, we'll yeah. start with... We'll, yeah, we'll start with your earliest life and move forward then. So tell us a little bit about uh, Amanda uh, as a little girl. What happened to you? Okay, yeah. So about what all happened, I'm not sure. I have repressed memories. Um, so I, I don't remember a lot of my childhood. I remember a big thing. When I was three years old, I fell and I hit my head very, very hard. Um, I, I, I knew my ABCs, and I could count to 10, and I hit my head so hard that um, I forgot all that. And so life was different, and I know that's part of it. You know, and I hit the part that I damaged in my brain was my prefrontal cortex, like that top part of your brain, and maybe a little mm-hmm. bit in the middle brain. Um, and so that's really like where you make decisions and reasoning and memory. And um, so, yeah, and I was a really good child. Uh, my mom was a single mom. I mean, she's been married five times. So there were um, a few different, you know, like families. But I, when I was, um, yeah, when I was a child, I just, I remember being happy, but I also remember all, my mom was busy. And there was a lot of, I'm a Christian, you'll see, by the way, I talked, there's a lot of generational curses in my family. And one of those generational curses was neglect. And it, it wasn't on purpose. But you, you can only be a mother uh, with how you're taught and, and led by example to be a mother. And I mean, for, unless you have Jesus, in my opinion. But um so that's all my mom had to pass on, and she loved me as much as she did, thought. But to get her attention, I would always try to be making her laugh, and I would act like I didn't get things to make my, my family laugh. And so they, I grew up, and they would always call me the blonde because um, I was always acting like I 
I was stupid, but I wasn't. I, they would just laugh. So I went along with it, but I, I mean, I and because of the head trauma, I couldn't pay attention in school, and so I always grew up thinking I was stupid, basically. Um, and I thought I was stupid for until just a few years ago. <laughs> so, I mean, there was that. Um, so when I was, I don't know, 13, 14, I, um, and because of the head trauma, I want to add, I also had to have like an EAP follow me around school because I couldn't pay attention in school. My focus was destroyed with that head trauma. So yeah, I thought I was, I was dumb. Um, so when I was like 13, 14, um, my mom moved us to southern Idaho, um, and I didn't have any friends here. And the way that she did it was kind of traumatic. But I had had all the same friends since I was six years old. So when I moved here, I didn't know how to make friends, and I was scared. I was so scared. Um, and so... I didn't. I just isolated, and I would just watch TV and, like, do nothing, and I had no friends anymore, so I started getting really attached to boys at school, and um, just these codependent relationships, and that's kind of what was modeled and part of the generational curse as well. So those started to get really abusive because I wasn't having friends, I wasn't being social, I was isolating, so I was, you know, becoming toxic, I guess, and so the boys I was, was dating weren't toxic, and, you know, um, the first boy that I ever was with, he, um, and this is all going to connect in a minute back to my childhood trauma, too, and just hey, very take soon, your time. Just if, if you're wondering. You're doing fine. Okay, anyway, so the first fine. boy... I was 14, and I had been isolated here for a whole year with no friends, with nothing. So when I met this boy, I just jumped at it. I was desperate. We were 14, and we were together for a whole summer. I lost my virginity to him. And I thought I was in love. It's funny, though, because I live a, a block away from his house, his old house now, 15 years later, 20 years later. I don't know. Anyway, so um, by the end of the summer... He broke, he had his cousin call and break up with me, and his cousin told me that the only reason he was with me is because he bet his cousin he could sleep with me 20 times by the end of the summer. And that, that, was, my, that was my first relationship. So, yeah, it, that was absolutely horrible. And so wow. I, I, that got, I got into an even more toxic relationship after that. Um, yeah, so it was the next year I was sitting in school, and they told me in biology that we evolved from monkeys, and I didn't realize then why I started having panic attacks. I kind of put, have put it all together now, um, and that and the trauma that I was starting to remember but not realize. So I was sitting in school, and I just started having these major panic attacks. For one, I was being lied to at school. And I was, you know, my subconscious knew it, but I didn't know it. And also, it was soon, anyway, so I dropped out of school because I was too scared to be around anybody. I didn't leave my house for, like, months. But anyway, so around that time, I remember I had this weird dream. And I didn't know if it was a dream 
but I didn't know if it was a memory. All I knew is, um, all I knew is that I had this random thing in my head. And so I was sitting in the hot tub with my mom, and I told her, you know, I had this really random. And right now, I'm gonna say, I'm a very open person. I don't care about. Like I meet, I tell people this stuff when I first meet them. I don't care, but I'm trying to protect the identity of the person I'm talking about, referencing, because um, I have forgiven them and I do love them. So, um, yeah, I need to be really careful with what I say. <laughs> um, Take your time. So, Listen, don't be yeah. just don't yeah. be rushing. There's plenty of time. We got plenty of time. Right. And I want you to feel comfortable. So. Just relax, take a couple of breaths. Um, don't worry, you've not revealed anything you shouldn't, uh, and you're not going to because you, you know you don't want to. That's fine. We're not gonna we're not gonna ask you to. Okay, so you're doing great. Right. And, um, really appreciate your being here. All right. I just want you to know that. Me too. Thank you. I'm just naturally very tense, and it's not tense to me, but I know I come across very hyper vigilant, and that's just how I am naturally. So I am trying to slow down. <laughs> good. Um, Very good. So, yeah. So I was talking to my mom about this person, this memory in the hot tub, and I, I, I didn't know it was a memory. I said, I had this weird dream that I was younger, and I was, you know, on the floor, and there was this person next to me, and they took my hand, and they put it on, and I was 16 when I was telling my mom this. I, they put my hand down there on them, like down there, you know. Um, and they said, it's okay because we are like family. And I explained what that um, person had down there. And I shouldn't have known anything about that when I was, you know, so little girl I was in the memory or dream or whatever I thought it was. So I told my mom this, and she said, totally, I mean, she, I don't know if she was drinking, if it was nighttime, I don't remember, I don't, but she was very calm and very just like, oh, yeah, that's not a dream. Um, so, yeah, and just, I don't know, you can, by the way that she minimized it, you can tell that it's like some kind of, you know, um, it just uh, the word brainwashing comes to mind. Like lots of people back then, like in her generation, minimize things. I think. Anyway, so she's just like, yeah. Um, when you were three years old, you came to me, and you told me because so you stayed at this person's house for the weekend, and their spouse was not there this one weekend. You, I went there a lot, um, and their spouse just didn't happen to be there this weekend. So I guess I came home as, at three years old and went up to my mom. And I want to laugh. I don't know why I want to laugh. That must be like a trauma thing. I don't feel emotional at all. Um, I went up to my mom, and I said, I started explaining what that person had in their genital area. And I'm not going to rest. I'm going to try not to say I probably will give it away at some point, but I'm going to try not to say what they had, or male or female. Um, so I, there's no way I should have known that at all. Um, and I guess, so we're sitting in the hot tub, and she's telling me this, and she said that 
and I asked what she did, and she said she was mad, and that she went to this person, and that she said, you know, what the heck, right? And um, I guess I'm gonna have to give away if it was if they were male or female in this next sentence because it's gonna be obvious. So it's okay. Um, I guess they said that I was sitting on their lap and I, it was totally innocent. I was just sitting on their lap and um, they got um, hard or whatever. I, I'm sorry, I have a hard time speaking graphic. Um, so, and I guess she was, I asked like, where you at? Because I need to say that this person was a family friend and I had grown up, like they were in, at the point where I'm talking to my mom in the hot tub about this, I had seen them just like a month before. Like this person was in my life this whole time. So I'm like, whoa, um, why? Like, and she said, she said that she, um, um, sorry, I'm trying to think to be careful. Um, she said that she was mad and for a long time, but you know, she believes this person afterwards that it was just innocent and I don't know. I've talked to a few counselors and they don't think it's a coincidence that I go tell my mom, I don't think me sitting on someone's lap and them getting that way would be enough for me to talk about what they have, you know? And I don't know, someone else can comment on this after. I don't think well, I would, that this adds up, and I would yeah. love to hear what other people think. Um, but I was in, so okay. I wanted can to we, add something we, before. But, okay, go ahead. Yeah. Okay, so right before the hot tub innocent, um, the hot tub, remember I told you I dropped out of school because I was anxious? Well, I went to a counselor. My mom was like, really? She's a single mom. It was frustrating. So she took me to a counselor. I wasn't going to school. And um, she took me to the counselor. And the counselor, I said, they said, you know, if, what happened to you? Because no one has panic attacks for no reason. And I said, nothing. I had a perfect childhood. And they said, I don't believe you. There's something that happened that you're, you're pushing out of your mind. This is like six months before the hot tub day. So I just wanted to add that. Um, anyway, so okay. I don't know if I should stop for now, and then we can talk yeah, about how it affected me in a minute. Or... Let's pause for a moment, and I'll, I'll make a comment on the last okay. thing you said. That's very common. Okay. That you that you there's something that uh, for example the counselor might feel is significant, and they feel like you're hiding it. You're not hiding it. You just don't recall it with any kind of clarity. You might even have a sense that something is different or wrong or you know painful or whatever it is. But you know what you need to do is you need to you need to have some clarity in order to uh, you don't want to accuse the wrong person for example right. <laughs> so you have to have clarity and. Um, in, in developing clarity, you're gonna, you did you did fine. So now let's see. We have two two other people here who are going to uh, probably make a comment about. Um, you want you want to ask the question specifically before we go to them, but you don't answer. Yeah, me. What kind of what kind of comments okay, so, would you like to hear? Yeah. Based on 
I hope I was clear enough. Based on what I just told you, just the same thing I've asked counselors, doesn't it sound like 100% that person was not honest? Like something happened for me to be able to go tell my mom what a, what a penis is, like at three years old? Yeah, okay. So let's first let's ask Lori, and then we have another person who's called in. So Lori, let me start with you. Uh, how would you, how do you feel about that question? Um, the question happened to me like a million times over. My father always had me on his lap, and from my earliest memories, I couldn't figure out why I was sitting on a stick because I didn't see a stick. It was just pants, but that was his thing. Um, yeah, my mother was in in view, so that was all he could do. Um, so like that happened all the time to me every, every night. Um, as long I'm glad that uh, you don't remember if you were touched or what he was doing, you know, while all the thoughts were coming into your head um, at such a young age. Um, but I want to go back, like, when you first started and you were talking about how you had that bad fall and you've got brain damage. That was the first thing. Yeah. That I, that happened to me, and this is why I can relate to a lot of what you're saying. I felt two right. stories when I was four years old, and I crushed the back of my head, um, along with everything else. And I've had problems um, with the exact same things that you've had. Um, I was an intelligent person, uh, even with the brain damage. Um, I IQ'd as as near genius, yet I can't spell and I can't add now. I mean, it affects, you know, your brain every other which way. Certain things is going to do it. And not being like another person and nobody knowing what you're going on, is it's just going to make you different, and that's what was causing all the anxiety because there isn't another person likely that has gone through a fall like you had. I mean, a, you know, a traumatic brain injury. So you are different, and your anxiety right. came from that. And yeah. in school, was, it was even worse because there's so many kids, and you can pretty much be sure they're not going through what you did. Um, yeah. What I can tell you about your relationship uh, with your mom, at least she's talking to you. That's a plus. You know, older people, they um, came up in different ways where they didn't talk about things. She sounds like she's pretty open with you. So that's, that's, that's a good thing. That's something in your favor. You know, and I hear that yeah. you're trying to protect people by coming on here and not mentioning their names or what they did because you're worried about whatever. This show is dedicated to you. This is only about you, and you don't have to worry about what anybody else thinks because this is a major step in your healing in your life, which is what you own. So don't worry about the rest of the people, and you're doing right. fine. Yes, she is. You're doing Thank a wonderful you. job. Let's go to, let's go to our uh, other panelist who's here with us and find out what this person thinks or wants to ask. Uh, actually, I don't know who this is. The number that they're calling from is, begins with 661. 
uh, the area code. So let me just open this up and say, hi, this is Bill. Who's this and where are you from? Hi, this is Philip, and I'm from California. Philip? Yes. Philip? And you from where? Philip. California. California. Okay. Well, so am I. <laughs> All right, Philip. Um, you heard uh, what she was asking that we comment on. Uh, what comment would you like to make? Well, um, I don't have anything to comment about right now. I'm kind of new to okay. this, so I was just hoping that this, that's okay. Okay. Well, that's fine. You don't have to make a comment, but I want you to know you will be offered the opportunity again later in the show, and you feel free to either tell me you don't really want to share or you want to share at that point, and we're not gonna, we'll keep you there, and thank you very much for calling in, Philip. We appreciate it. Thank you, Bill. All right. All right. Now, uh, let's go back to Amanda now. So did you get some sense of uh, response that you can appreciate and want me to respond to? I can do that. Um, Sorry, can you and, hear and me? I can do, yeah, I can hear you. Yeah. Hold on one um, second. My headphone just turned off. I'm trying to reopen my phone. There we go. Sorry okay. about that. Yeah, right. I agree with what she had to say. Me, um, let me make a couple of comments here. First of all, the thing about the head injury and the head trauma, uh, I, knew, I knew Laurie had had that in her life. She had a very severe case of it, and I'm glad she brought it up because she's really, uh, of all of us here sitting right now, she's the expert on that stuff. And it, it really did cause tremendous damage to her. Now, we're not saying that it, it caused that much damage to you, but it caused damage. And, it, and the damage may not be as obvious in you as it's been in Lori. But, you know, there are so many physical ramifications of um, abuse that happen. Uh, and and when you, um, you know, when you hit your head, I mean, <laughs> your head is a pretty important part of your body and it controls everything. So it depends on where you hit it and how hard you hit it and all that. So anyway, that's one thing. Secondly, as far as... Um, you know, being being aware, becoming aware of the male body, um, you know, that happened to me too, to be honest with you. I mean, I'm a, I'm a guy, but I don't understand, I, I didn't understand at all male physiology. I never was, <clears throat> I never was around many boys or men. Um, I never saw my father naked. I think I saw him naked one time when we were changing bathing suits in, <laughs> at a beach one day. Uh, but, you know, I mean, it's not it's not a common thing. It's unfortunate because one of the things NASCA uh, uh, appreciates is that we have a we have a, 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 a desire that people teach their children earlier than they do about everything, and that includes the correct anatomical part uh, anatomical parts of their body, for example, their body names. And when do you do that? You do that when you're teaching them the body names. So they, they say, what's this? That's your toe. What's this? That's your ankle. What's this? That's your knee. What's this? That's your vagina. What's this? That's your belly button. You know, you just, if you just add it in uh, to, without making a big deal of it, guess what? The kid learns, learns the language, and it's not a big deal to them. So, uh, you know, the mystery uh, is a is big part of the problem. I um, I agree. Uh, 
you know, I was abused by men. So when they touched me, that was a shock too. <laughs> I didn't know what, you know, what that was all about. And uh, so anyway, yeah, th- these things should be talked about with parents, with counselors, with whoever, um, and dealt with because this is not okay. And it's never the child's fault. The child is not educated. We don't come with, um, you know, sort of learner's manuals, you know, and parents don't do it either. So we have to learn as we go along. And, um, you know, we, some of us struggle a great deal, and some of us are more, you know, easy, easy about it. But whatever you are, it's not your fault how you react to the abuse and, or, and the trauma that follows it. It's not your fault. It's always the uh, older person, the adult's fault, and never the child's, okay? So let's go back to you. I don't want to take up too much time on you, but let's go back to you, um, Amanda, and uh, we can have you continue sort of through your um, uh, into your your mid childhood, if you want. How's that sound? Yeah. So, what part of my childhood? The middle. I mean, you know, you're you're at, say like elementary school and so forth. Um, well, I don't know what to say about it. I mean, I think I had a pretty good childhood. I don't remember anything else about that time at the parents' house, that person's house. Um, okay. But I had a pretty, really great childhood other than that, other than, you know, my friends and I were, like, the odd girls out, I guess. Like, um, we were always playing, like, we weren't like the popular girls, and eventually we were like gothic, and so kind of dark. And before we, I moved, I did witchcraft, you know. So um, maybe not the best friend. So I can see why God maybe kind of moved me away from there. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know what. I don't remember a lot of my childhood, so I can't say a whole lot about that. Most of the stuff that has happened to me didn't happen in childhood. I will say That's that okay. after I told you about hitting my head really, really hard. Um, yeah. I did have another fall. Um, I had another fall. I fell down some stairs. I, I, I remember that after she said it. Um, Lori said that. So, yeah, I fell down uh-huh. stairs as well. And then I had multiple head traumas as an adult, just in abusive relationships. Um, and when I was trafficked and stuff. So, um, I can tell you about my childhood. I just don't know what to say about my childhood. But you know, my mom took us some great places. We went to um, Florida. Like we went all over. It was, it was really. We had fun. I I remember always being depressed, um, unless I had something to look forward to. I remember always like I could look forward to going to Bible camp or, um, you know, and. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of other stuff about my childhood. So, okay. I mean, it's really hard to remember. It's really hard yeah. to remember a lot about my, and it's, I'm really realizing that now, now that you're asking me about it, like, just how much I don't remember about, oh, I guess some other traumatic things. It's not, you know, sexual. Thankfully, I don't remember anything right now else sexual, but um, as a teenager, I got in a couple of wrecks. Like, I got... And I was praying the other day at church, and God showed me that I'm really traumatized by this, and I never realized this. I actually forgot it until a few months ago. 
when I was 14, we were up at Red River at the, my ex-stepdad's family's cabin, and we were going four-wheeling, and I got, I guess it, like, flipped over, and I got stuck under the four-wheeler um, wow. for, like, 10 minutes. And my mom didn't really believe in doctors that much, and I'm really happy about that now because I don't really believe in doctors for different reasons, but I guess maybe it's kind of the minimizing thing in the family. Um, so I never got it checked out, but my arm hurt for like a year, but that really traumatized me. And also then I got in a snowmobile accident at the same cabin like a year later. And that affected me because I didn't drive until I was like 20. I got my license when I was 24, but I didn't start really driving a lot until I was 27. After those wrecks, that really scared me. And I say that because I had to depend on men and that really most of the trauma that happened to me, I was older, and that really made it worse is that I had to depend on these men because I couldn't even drive myself. I couldn't even go to work because I was too scared of everything, you know? Mm -hmm. Sure. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, uh, and by the way, trauma is not only sexual stuff, right? Trauma is um, things that affect you. It can, it can be physical, right? Maybe this car wreck was that. It can be emotional, which the car wreck, no doubt, was. It can be um, violent, which again, no doubt, that uh, the car thing was. And um, you know, it can be sexual. But it, there's a whole array of array of things that can happen to a person. The, the trauma of which is not the incident itself. It's not the car wreck itself. It's how you process it and think about it and relate to it later. And that can go on for years. So you're in the right place, yeah. and you're you're talking in the right way. By the way, I think you're doing great. That's my opinion. Thank you. I have a, a few counselors that have told me they think I'm healing from this. Like I, I don't know what your guys' opinion, but I've had two counselors tell me that they. I sound like I since I've, I'm forgiving, that I yep. it sounds like I'm healed, and I don't know if that's true, but it's good to hear. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um. Uh, well, yeah. I I, um, I I agree. You know, <laughs> you sound great. You really do. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I just, right. so, I know that. Um, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I just want to m mention to Lori. I've left your mic open, Lori. If you want to make a comment, feel free. Uh, but you know, okay. she also had she also had Lori. I'll just burst your bubble a little bit, Lori. Lori has had really severe uh, instances, instances that were not sexual that but were, um, you know, really shook her up and gave her a lot of trauma. So, Lori, I know you're an expert in this area, and if you want to make a comment about her, um, please feel free. All right? Yeah. Everything that actually does happen, it does, as Bill said, it doesn't have to be sexual. Um, you're getting shoved across someplace. Everything creates a little bit of a trauma. So even though, like, you don't have, like, a major memory of something horrible happening, this could be happening. And because of the brain, it's just processing it different, and that's why you don't remember. Um, well, and that's a good thing. I, I honestly think at, at some point it's a good thing. My question right uh, now, and I've been very curious about this, what is it that you're doing now? Well, 
I wanted to tell you, I do remember horrible things. This is, I probably had, I don't know, 15 horribly traumatic things happen to me. Like, I was on drugs. I was traffic. Um, this, I'm just focusing on childhood because NASCAR is a childhood trauma group, you know? Um, I do have horrible memories. Like, every day, I, I did drugs in this area. Every day, I drive by a neighborhood where, like, someone pointed a gun at me or held a knife to my throat. Like, um, like it's just insane. Um, but this one thing... And it's amazing how resilient I am, and I think a reason that I'm so resilient is I used to be so resentful to my mom, but I'm really resilient. And, um, you know, so sorry, I kind of forgot. What am I doing now? Perfect. Yeah. So what I'm doing now, right now, I go to church. I depend on Yahweh, my Elohim. That's, that's the first thing. I am Messianic Jewish. Um, we basically, I don't believe in religion. My church doesn't either. We're like, kind of like Pentecostals, like we're really in the spirit. But we also follow the law of Moses. Because of all the trafficking and stuff, like if anyone looks on my, on my um, Facebook, I cover my head. Like I'm really into um, the ancient past. I also, you know, I, I was doing AA and NA. But... I figured it wasn't really getting to the source of the problem. There are some things about AA I don't agree with. So I'm doing the 12 steps. I'm not doing AA every day like I was, but I found, I said I want to get to the source of the problem. So I heard of other 12-step groups, and I know NASA is not a 12-step group, but that's how I found that. And SASA, SASA, I found that as well, but I didn't really, I don't know. I just fell into NASA. Well, a few weeks ago when I found it, I really like it more than the other one. Um, so I'm also it's going to help you. It is yeah, going to help you. And it doesn't yeah. matter, you know, that, it, you know, your childhood memories aren't as, you know, memorable as because you're growing and you're aging and they're the recent memories that push the other memories back. So that's trauma too. A child. Yes, it is. See, a childhood survivor, literally, you know, they can start there, but we all end up going through our our mid-years where we can have families, where we can have jobs, or or how everything affects that. And then more years go by, and you see another change and another change. So that's perfect, the way it's going for you. So don't, you know, don't minimize that you didn't have so much trauma as you did as an adult, as a child, it's still that you did have trauma, and this is just the way you're reacting. So what you're doing is the right well, thing. It's just, I don't, I'm, I'm not trying to minimize it. I just don't remember. It's the thing, you know. So there's just not a lot to tell because my brain is blocking it out, you know. Um, and I also want to tell you the rest of what I'm doing. So because I think what I'm doing is like the the formula that God has given me. Um, like, so I, I'm a mentor for the Idaho Department of Corrections, so I really want to help women out of sex trafficking. No one ever gets arrested in Idaho for trafficking, and nobody ever gets, I remember being, no one ever gets arrested for prosecution, ever. They don't get arrested for it here, and I, the only reason I can think of is because they want to keep it quiet. The law, right? They want to keep it quiet, and that's not a good sign. I'm not going to, I'm not going to accuse anybody, but... um. So I'm starting to think, like, why I really want to help other women. How do I find these women? So I thought I would be a mentor 
you know, because I'm in recovery from drugs as well. And so now I'm, I'm helping women, and I'm just trying to pass this on. I know that you lose it if you don't pass it on. I'm also a mother of five. I work 20 hours a week. I found a job that I could take them with me. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm going to homeschool my youngest. And they're just my world. I, re I wake up at 4.30 in the morning so that I have time to read my Bible um, and journal and stuff. So in 2017, I was in a faith-based program for recovery. And I'm not in that right. program anymore because I'm married and mm -hmm. have a family now. But instead of being in the program, I, I go over there and help other women in the program now. So now I kind of go back. I'm a mentor for women in that program. So, um, but everything that I learned in that program, memorizing scripture, giving my time with the Father in the morning, like I'm still doing all of those things. And that's part of what keeps me sober today because, you know, the, the drug is a symptom of what has happened. Right. Well, let, me, let me take one stab before we put, move forward. And by the way, you have plenty of time. We have a, we're now halfway through the show, so there's a lot of show left. Um, yeah. The, um, the, um, the phenomenon that we're describing, and all of us have described it from a different angle, is common. It's the, it's the brain's protecting the child from too much trauma, from, too, from, too, you know, from taking too much on. And this doesn't always happen, but it frequently happens that the, the uh, brain, you know, which obviously can, well, you, maybe you don't know this, but the brain continues to progress and, and grow until your mid to late 20s for all of us. And we think that we're mature when we're 19. Well, no, <laughs> you know, our brains are still growing. And one of the things that it might do when you're a child and you experienced uh, trauma is think of it as a closet. Uh, the memories go in the closet, and the, and, the, and the door gets shut closed. And the brain is keeping those things in that closet because to have them sitting out in front of you all the time would be very painful. And the brain knows this, so it puts it in the closet for a while. And then later in life, something occurs that rattles the front door of the closet, you know, the lock of the closet, and it pops open and stuff starts falling out. Well, when that happens, it's a shock because – you really have forgotten all about that closet. It's over there. You're not looking at it. And when it opens and things fall out, it's quite. It can be quite shocking. So what do you do? You um, you either you, a lot of people either fling the door open, or they slam it shut, and you know with their back up against it to make sure it doesn't open. And no, neither of those is the right way to do it because slamming it shut is denying that there's stuff in there that you just discovered. And opening it up wide and letting everything fall out on you, that's wrong because, you know, you can't handle everything all at once. But you can handle enough so that, you know, with, especially with some guide of a person or a counselor perhaps or somebody that's familiar with the phenomenon, uh, they won't belittle you if you describe what's going on with you. And they can help you examine a few things at a time. Uh, you know, in whatever whatever ended up in that closet that's still there, and you may be in your thirties and forties, you know, and that's the way it is. So that's my comment. Yeah, um, I sometimes wonder if I'm going to remember after this person dies. You know, yeah. those are the triggers. 
Those are triggers. You're going to come across them, um, and they're going to blindside you, uh, really, and they're going to take you down for a while, and they'll bring you back because the memories really are still there. Yeah, some people call it their Pandora's box. I hear that a lot. You know, they don't want to deal with it. They're older now. They have a handle on it. But as you get older, like really older, you go back and you remember the younger days before, like the older days, because, you know, they're with you the longest. So um, I always found it a better thing to do if something comes, like, in your path, you just go through it. You take it on. You see where it goes, and then you're at another level higher than what you are. And that's how life goes. They'll come when they're ready, and then you just react the way you're you're doing because you're you sound very successful. And I think what happened to you when you were younger, and when every what led you to the mentorship and all that you're in now. That could be the reason why it happened to you. I mean, nobody ever has a real answer, but they'll ask Amen. the question, why did it happen to me? That could be the reason. Yes, yes. I say that I was refined through the fire. Before I went on drugs, I was scared. I didn't work. I didn't, I dropped I was too scared to do anything. And then I went on on dry, I lost my kids, I lost everything. I went through so much out there, like people tried to kill me multiple times. Um, I was trafficked, like, and I just say I was refined to the fire for a reason, for his purposes, to help other girls, to help other women out. And I know this is really bold for me to say, but I'm going to shut it down. I really am. Here in this area, I'm going to shut it down. I just know that I am. I'm going to put an end to it all. God will, with me. And I don't know how, but I know I will. So Well you you're now looking into you're now looking into an army basically of people who have had similar experiences and really feel the same way. Almost all of us feel that, you know, we have an obligation now to some degree to turn around as we're healing and offer it to somebody else. All right? And that that's very common and and it's a wonderful way to take advantage of if you want to call it that take advantage of the trauma of, of the abuse because that is a way to make it useful uh, by, by telling your story there are people out there tonight who are impressed and, and they'll come forward and tell their story someday too because of it okay so it means a lot yeah just I'm the fact that you're everything. working and managing five children and, and doing all and these husband. wonderful things, yeah. and a husband. I mean, that, that's yeah. a full-time yeah. thing. I think that this is probably your calling. Yes, thank Good you. Time. I I lost the oldest two, and I, I have them on the weekend. You know, I have them back, and then our last relapse about two weeks ago, or two weeks ago, sorry, two years ago, <laughs> Two years ago, I was out there for about, a, a, I don't know, a month. And so that really put a damage. Yeah, and I've never had as much growth as I've had in the last two years, though. So I'm, I'm, I'm about to have one of them. Like, I'm, I'm having them more and more again now. But it took a while because my parents trusted me again, you know. And then, But I never realized I was being trafficked. And maybe we could go into this sometime. Um, 
I didn't know I was being trapped. I can tell. So I always looked back on that drug life, and I wanted it because I, 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 I was never scared of anything on drugs, you know. Um, and I was social. I missed the social thing, I guess. But I didn't realize I was being trafficked. I knew bad things happened to me, and I knew that men expected me to have sex with them, and I didn't know why. Why did they expect? I didn't know I was being sold around because I was so out of it. So this last relapse two years ago, I went out there, but I was less high. I wanted to go home, but I couldn't because what was going on between my husband and I. And, um, you know, I, I wasn't as high, and I looked around, and the cops even told me, like, and help me figure it out. I was like, and I and I had all these memories come back, and whoa, I've been trafficked this whole time. Um, and I just know that it was. I'm, I would do it all again. I would do everything from a child to where I am now. I would do it all again, all of it. I wouldn't you know, do anything um, different. I had no idea I was being trafficked either. But this is a common experience that. Because we're kids, and if we're not taught, and I was one of them that was not taught anything about sex, it's pretty easy for us to be hoodwinked and for our um, experience to, uh, our, our lack of experience to lead us down the garden path, which we don't understand what the garden's at all about. I didn't. No idea. And, uh, you know, so when I was asked to do stuff to the men that abused me, I wouldn't do it. I, didn't, I thought it was icky. You know, but th- what, th- what I did allow them to do, and I didn't know this was wrong too, but I, um, I allowed them to use me for their pleasure. And, um, you know, that's, that, it's not, again, it's not the child's fault, but, um, but I knew something was wrong, like you did. You, you know something's wrong, and you just don't know what it is. You've never been taught. So... Yeah, we're glad we're we're learning about it right now. <laughs> yeah, and I I have to stop myself from obsessing and trying to put all the puzzle pieces together. You know, um, yep. I just I, I obsess over it, and that obsession used to bring me back to that life. Um, yeah, and I wonder if my addiction to mystery. I wonder if it has anything to do with me having, and this is something that that maybe God just showed me just this second, just now. I've never thought of this. Maybe my addiction to things that are mysterious has to do with my childhood and not being able to remember. Maybe that's why I'm kind of like obsessed with liking to see how things fit together now in my life, you know? I think it is. I won't comment, though, at this point. I'll let, I'll let Lori make a comment, but I can tell you, I def and I'm an alcoholic, you know, I'm sober all the time, but I definitely think it, it is. Go ahead, Lori, what would you think? I would agree with you that you've got it right on. Um, I watch nothing but mysteries, and I watch murder shows because I was always in that field. Um, you know, the Brady Bunch really just doesn't do it because that wasn't my lifestyle. Um, you know, my son, they, they make fun of me, you know, my mom and her, her, mom and her mysteries, mom and her has to figure it out, but, you know, we're searchers, you know, uh, and yeah. the mysterious is what draws us because we don't have flat answers, so th- there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, people write mysteries, so, you know, they expect people to read them, so any of that stuff, um, it, with your background and whatnot, 
they could definitely leading you down to finding out what what it is, you know, that made yeah. you do the things that you were doing. So keep doing it, you know. Don't, you know, anybody looks at you crosswise, you say, I'm searching, and this is the way I do it. So, you know, I'm doing it. Right. Thank you. You're very welcome. One of the things that happens in our um, childhood is we're affected, you know, uh, as well, dramatically. And so when when it's possible to do so, we reach out for all different kinds of things that we, we hope will be effective in, you know, kind of healing whatever we're, we're dealing with. And alcohol and drugs and those kinds of things are one of them. So is sex. So is money. So is, you know, gambling. So is there's lots of things. And they're all um, stabs. You know, they're, they're tools that we think are going to help us to get through life. And, of course, instead of turning out to be wonderful things, they turn out to be horrible things for us. But it's hard to see that at first, and, I, I think, and they are a, a, a reaction to, for me, I, I never drank socially. You know, when I finally could drink, I drank like a fish and I drank really sloppily. I was not a good drinker. <laughs> and uh, because of that, I, I, you know, I spent the next about a dozen years or so, um, you know, saying, pour me, pour me, pour me a drink. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I think it's definitely related, and so are many other, um, you know, uh, issues and topics that we could discuss later. But anyway, you're doing a great job again, and uh, let me see if our guests here, our other panelists, would like to, to say something. And we have somebody from the 317 area code. Let's see who that is. This is Bill. And uh, I see you're from the 317 area code. Who is this and where are you from? Uh, this is Jerry, Bill. How are you doing tonight? Oh, hi, Jerry. Hey, Jerry. Uh, <laughs> yes. Were you listening for a while? Um, yeah, I was listening online, and then I called. I went ahead and, and logged out and called in. <laughs> okay. Do you yeah, have a comment this, you'd like to make at this point? Well, I do think Amanda is like a breath of fresh air with her honesty. And um, I appreciate her honesty and her growth. She's she's going to do miraculous things in her time. I agree. Oh, yeah. And uh, just keep growing and keep knowing that he's with you um, in all yeah. things. That's something that yeah. you, you know, I think it's a pair that you're going to keep doing. So I, I appreciate your honesty, especially on, on the show tonight. I appreciate that. More Thank people need you. to hear. More people need to hear, and more people need to know that they're they. You know, things that happen to us really do change our lives, and um, you know, they're not to be avoided or ignored. Um, that's very important. Yeah, definitely. In our in our young life. Okay, that's about it. Oh, sorry. No, That's about no, all I would I would say to that. I I just think she's doing wonderful. I couldn't agree more. I wanted to add that lots of people have so many addictions to food and TV. Like my grandma died from food and TV. Like um, there's so many. Everyone is addicted to something. That's what I heard a counselor say once, and it's so true. 
And lots yeah. of people, they don't realize why they're addicted. It's because they're not, they're avoiding what happened to them. And I think so many of us, I think it's way more common than anybody realizes. Exactly. That is more true than what you even know. <laughs> uh, yeah. a, lot, a lot of people don't understand um, their own self. And you've made a big accomplishment by recognizing that. Right. Really big accomplishment. All right. I have one other person. Let me check Thank in you. with this with Philip, who's been holding on. As he, as I promised him, I said I'd come back and give him an, an opportunity. He didn't want to talk the first time. Maybe he does now. Philip, this is Bill. Is there any comment or question that you'd like to add? Well, I'd like to say that it's been a good show so far. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't really understand that. Could you say it again? I'd like to say that it's been a good show so far. Well, thank you. And I think I think you're right. It's been a good show. We do these, you know, five nights a week, Monday through Friday, uh, always at the same time for 90 minutes. So you join us anytime you like, and that just goes for the listening audience too. Join us anytime you like, uh, and we will always be discussing – uh, the issues that are related to child abuse and trauma, uh, because that's the single purpose that our, our organization um, follows, and it's called the NASCA organization, N-A-A-S-C-A, National Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse. And we're delighted to have everybody listening, and we invite anyone who wants to to call in on a regular basis, okay? So... Um, Thank you, thank you, Philip, for that comment, though. Let's go back to um, Amanda to pick up on that, where we were. Uh, so, where are we in your? Would you call it? Uh, how did the? Um, how did the? Not the prostitution. The, the trafficking begin? Because I think I missed how it began. Did you answer? Yeah. That? Did you find that? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, this is the part that's hard. Um, so, I, I guess it's all hard. So, and I started smoking marijuana. Cause remember, I started isolating. I had no life here. I never really grew. So, by the time, I was scared of drugs. I tried them as a teenager. I had an ex-boyfriend as a teenager who made me do drugs, and I was so scared and freaked out. And I, I hallucinated, and that freaked me out. But by the time I was 23 or so years old, I was so miserable but I wanted to hallucinate, right? So um, so I started smoking marijuana. Oh, no, first I started taking Norco pills. I had this other boyfriend. This one wasn't abusive, for one. Um, his, but, the, I mean, I guess I, this is an abusive thing that I did because um, we mimic things sometimes, right? Um, right. So I, when I was 14, I had an earache. The doctor gave me Norco, like so stupid, right? Just makes me, that makes me angry. So I never could get Norco, obviously, as a teenager. So um, that's another reason I'm happy I isolated because my drug use didn't grow as rapidly. It stalled because I didn't know anyone. Anyway, so um, when I was 23, his grandma, his mom had cancer, and his grandma had something wrong with her, and they had painkillers and. I had done painkillers a few times over, like, six years, like, once in a while, you know, and I knew I loved them. 
but like it's a hard thing to find um at first so I started doing painkillers regularly with him and he started get like this is the thing guys will do is they'll provide these things so you'll come over more they'll find like broken girls and this isn't really what he was doing but once he noticed that I liked the pills he started giving me and I started coming over more you know but there are men who will find broken girls and just like feed them these things um anyway so I started doing these pills and eventually we were stealing them from his mom who had cancer thankfully she lived you know um she's alive I think the last I heard but yeah that's when I really and but I had been a few uh, two years before this I had broken up with my ex-husband my first husband and I'm, I'm with my second husband now um and I had so much anxiety down there in Oklahoma that I couldn't be alone. Every time that he would leave the house, I thought I was going to die. I thought my lungs were closing. I was too scared to be alone. I thought if I was left alone, that I would die because I would stop breathing and I, I wouldn't be able to call 911 because I couldn't talk. Like, I had so much anxiety, you know, and from all that maybe from the trauma, right? Anyway, so um, I have, I went I found a girl online because my ex-husband and I played this online video game. This random girl that he met online, I was too scared to be alone. He kept leaving from work, so he sent me to go live with this girl a few hours south in Texas because I literally couldn't be alone without calling 911. 911 stopped showing up. I was just so freaked out, right? And I didn't do drugs yet. So um, everything was fine at her house until her husband got home. He used to travel out of town, and then things got really, really bad. He would make me hook up with him. He thought I was there to be a second girlfriend. I was not. I was so happy there, you know, as happy as I could be in that state of mind until he came home, and they were weird. They would get me drunk, and, you know, they had a swing. And I never – I remember lying to him, telling him that I was on my period. And he got mad at me. And this is before I ever did drugs, but I would get in these chaotic situations, and I don't have no idea how. Right? This is even before the drugs. I was 21. Anyway, so and I would call my husband, like, hey, come get me. This man's making me have sex with him, and he wouldn't. And then this ended one day, and then her brother came to town, and her brother had sex with me when I was out of it, blackout drunk. This is just a bad situation, and my ex-husband wouldn't come get me. And I have a feeling like I, that might have been a trafficking situation. Um, I didn't know anything about Maybe that's wrong. Even though, either way, it was horrible. And so anyway, so a few years later when I'm with the other guy who's giving me the Norco, I'm trying to block out this trauma from Texas. Because in Texas, that ended with that guy putting a gun to my head. He pointed a gun at me, and I ran out of the house, and I had to call my dad. And my dad had someone come get me. Um, anyway, so when I'm with this guy doing Norco, I'm trying to block out this Texas ordeal, right? And um, I tried to tell my mom, this boyfriend that I had made me tell my mom. And I told my mom, and it, she just got upset and felt really, I felt like she was really annoyed with me. And um, because of this, I know that she went through trauma, possibly, um, who knows, maybe with a family friend that I went through trauma with, um, it's, my mom admits that she doesn't remember a lot of her childhood. I don't know. So um, 
Yeah, so I was 23 and with this guy, and shortly after this, I broke up with that guy. And I started drinking. I'm not an alcoholic, really. I don't like alcohol, but I was 21. I had never been to the bars before. So there was a few months that I started going to the bars. <laughs> and during these few months, I, um, I don't know, this was, I started getting bipolar symptoms, and I know it was from the medication I was taking at the time. Um, so I met, I started having mania. And I met this guy online because I, I started really going in these chat rooms online and I don't know, I met this guy online and three, I was having main, main, manic episodes because I left the guy who was giving me the pills right. So I met this guy online and he said, why don't you fly to New York? And I had no, I had no idea who this guy was, right? And so I get on a plane and decide just to move to New York. Like, whoa, that's crazy. Um, I'd never been to New York, and I was excited. It was, a free, it was a free plane ride. I was so bored. I didn't work. I didn't drive. I had no life because I was, so, I was so scared. The only way to make my scaredness go away was mental illness. So I would embrace the mental illness. Um, and I got there, and this guy, I did not, the second I saw him, I was like, no way, no. He was not like what he looked like on the video chat. He, I, I don't know. I'm from an upper middle class. Um, just used to, I don't know, especially at this point in my life, back then I was used to like nicer, I don't know, this was in the ghetto. Um, hell, it's called Elmira, they call it Hell Myra. Um, there was gunshots every night, smoking in the house, like I've never been around this type of stuff before. Um, and so we were smoking a lot of marijuana, and I felt like I had to have sex with him, right? So I was miserable. Like, we had no money. I lost so much weight there. That was the only good thing about it. Cause, and there, no one drives over there. It's not in the city. It's upstate. It's this tiny town, but no one drives. So I lost all this. I was, I've never been so miserable. Ever. Yeah. And this is when I stopped getting, this is what broke me out of being a gypsy, is because I didn't want to get in this situation again. So I, I want to stop and say, at this point, I used to run across the country to escape yeah. my trauma. And this is the point where I stopped running physically and I started running mentally. Because this is where I switched from physically running to running with drugs. Because I didn't want to end up in this horrible position anymore. So I started smoking a bunch of marijuana with him. I got pregnant on purpose because I was, I don't know why, I was manic and I was, I hated this guy, right? But still, I was, I don't know, I just had this weird feeling like I should get pregnant because I was bored, right? I don't, I have no idea. Um, so I got pregnant, and I didn't want to stay there. So I got on a greyhound and headed towards Idaho and took him and his son with me. We got stranded in Nebraska for a few months, which is pretty close to Idaho. And then one of my friends came to get us. In Idaho, that didn't last long with him. Um, and I was still reeling from this Texas trauma, right? Um, anyway, so I, at this point, Mackenzie, my daughter, was just a little baby. Um, and I was not a good mother. I have shameful. I have so much. I think lots of my problems with addictions is trying not to think about the mother I was to her at this point. So I was so broken. I cannot be a good mother. 
Um, like, I don't want to cry about anything that's happened to me, but thinking about me and her back then, like, that makes me want to cry. Um, so just, I, I started getting into spice, switching from marijuana to spice and, like, harder pills a little bit. Um, and so I did draw, and I, this is the first time I lost her. Um, my parents had her for a few months. So I was doing, like, this in the spice drug game, which was around back then, and I wasn't doing my heroin and meth yet. So I did that for a few months with some random guy and, um, like, this group of people. Like, we would drive around town in this car smoking spice and do drug deals, like, with just with spice and marijuana and stuff. And so not, like, the big drug game yet, but... I don't know, I got addicted to the social aspect because I had been isolated for so many years. And I, 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 like, later when I lost my daughter, I was devastated. I want her. But at this time, I'm so ashamed to say that I actually wanted her at my parents because I was so broken at this point. Um, and there was one time I remember being in this guy's room that I was saying that. And we were smoking weed with her right there, and the closet door wasn't on. It was just leaning against the door, and it fell right towards her and landed on the bouncer seat she was in. It went like an inch from her face. Like, I don't know. I feel the need. I feel the the more I think about these things and talk about these things, the less I'm going to act out in addiction because it's going to help me heal. Um, So, yeah, that was horrible. Um, anyway, so I stopped doing drugs other than marijuana for about a year after this. And then I get with um, my second daughter's dad. And we were together for two years. And this guy smoked a lot of marijuana with me, and he sold it. And this is where things get bad. So my parents bought me, and I, I lost before. My parents had built me a house before. And we stole my stepdad's tools and pawned it for marijuana money, so they didn't give us the house. So my parents, this time, my, uh, my daughter, me, and him were living in this trailer with his dad, and it was nasty. And the dad smoked cigarettes in the trailer. And so, again, my mom and my stepdad buy a different trailer and remodeled it for me to live in. And him and I are there, and it was a toxic relationship. And I still, I got, I had my, uh, my daughter back, I had the other daughter, and I was still, I have videos and pictures of me loving them and stuff, but I just have these memories of me self-harming with them, like cutting myself, with them banging on the bathroom door, me in the bathroom cutting myself crying over the ex that I was with at the time because he would never, didn't want to come home, and, uh, and I don't really blame him. <laughs> We were both toxic, but my girls, like, opening the door and me, like, just being so focused on myself and my sickness, like, I'm, I was not a good mom back then, and I can say now that I am. Um, anyway, so I was just so sad, and the only people that I ever saw were people that would come buy marijuana from me. Well, eventually, the people buying marijuana from us, and I should add, I did so much marijuana that everything we sold supplied my habit. We weren't making any money. And we sold a lot. Anyway, so um, these people coming over eventually had other drugs, right? Like people that I used to know when I did Spice started coming to buy marijuana from me. And by this 
time, two years later, they weren't just doing spice and marijuana anymore. They were doing heroin and meth. And I was so miserable. One time, you know, I started getting into oxy. And I started passing out with my kids. And I'd call my friends that were on the opposite drugs. They were always awake, right? And I was always passing out. So I said, hey, like, I was taking pills, right? And I said, hey, I need you to come help me. Like, I'm, I, I took too much. I can't, I can't keep my eyes open. My kids, like, so they would come over. And they're like, well, you kind of need to stay more awake. So they, they got me to start doing meth, which I originally hated. But I started dropping all this weight, right? So I got addicted to the meth, too. And it's, it happened so fast. Most people over years, over years they lose their house and their kids and their life. No, in, in a month I was shooting it up. And then, then when we were in a trailer park. All of us got eviction, and someone got indicted at each trailer all on the same day. And when my, my parents heard that I um, had lost the trailer, my parents went and got in a – my parents had no idea I was doing these drugs. Um, so after my first heroin overdose just happened all at the same time, they went and got um, um, custody of my kids. Anyway, so I lost everything so fast, and – from that moment, I was a princess, and sure. this is the first day that I started getting refined to the fire and becoming a warrior. The first time I remember actually walking on foot, nowhere to go, no one to call, only what's in my backpack. Like, that happened so many times. And um, anyway, so during this time, right. I'm getting to the trafficking part. Let me just make you make you aware. Yeah, you can finish up with that. But we have about 15 minutes left in the whole show. So pace okay. yourself a little bit so you can, you know, tell a short version of this next thing so we can say thank you and so forth before the show goes off there, okay? Perfect. So um, the, the I had a few – I was already – these people had put cameras in my house, and they had targeted me for video sex trafficking and more, but at least if they can't get you to sleep with someone um, for money, they can they can get videos of you, right? Um, so there were a few times where I was so desperate that I did it to myself. I like a guy would talk me into doing something with him to get something. Um, Right, and I, I never, I did it a few times. Maybe I would do it once every few months. Like I wasn't a prostitute, right? And eventually I was a con artist, um, but I won't be able to get into that. Um, I, I looked at predators, like I would, they, I would prey on them, you know, but I won't be able to get into that today. Um, so there was this one guy who would give me pills and wait for me to pass out. And there was, after he did that to me, I got so used to it that eventually he could talk me into it without me being passed out first, right? Um, right. Anyway, so they had video, I didn't know they were video sex trafficking me, you know, um, and I can't really get, sorry. Um, okay. So I don't know if I can really explain it all very fast. So I 
I didn't know I was being trapped. They kept me so out of it that I had no idea. Go in your room. I had no idea what was going on. Um, and this is kind of why I said I wanted time to prepare. Um, it's just really hard. Um, so in the very, we might just have to, I might have to go into details. There's no way I could do it all in this 15 minutes. We'd have to do no, it no. separately. But I'll no just details. say. Just, just broad strokes. Yeah. I'll yeah. just say that I started being, yeah, I started being trafficked and I didn't know. Um, I knew the few times that I had done it to myself, but what they did to me was separate. You know, like they drop you off, like you're, you're driving to go, because I did sell drugs too. You're driving to go sell something and all of a sudden, you know, a guy will just, or a girl even will just, you know, because you don't drive if you're selling drugs, you get paranoid. So you have people that are dedicated to driving. Um, and they'll just drop you off on the side of the freeway out of nowhere. Just bam. Well, you don't realize they just sold you. You're walking down the freeway, and all of a sudden, someone else pulls up. You're desperate. And let's say they stole your phone, or your fo they knew your phone was dead, right? They just sold you. Yeah. Whoever picked you up just bought you, and you had no idea. That's how it works. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, you um, you're at the mercy of, you know, if basically when you're a child, we call them pedophiles, but you're still at the mercy of uh, the, these people who are desperate to um, have whatever, uh, you know, whatever flavor of sex they want. They they go after. That's what they go after. They don't all go after girls. They don't all go after boys. They don't all go after teenagers. Whatever it is, but all along our life, there will be people who, um, who at least you know, look at us kind of in a leering way. We may not notice it, but they are, and their heart is all about fulfilling their need, whatever it is. Uh, so a lot of them are pedophiles, but that continues till later when you have people who are uh, trafficking people. You know, you have people who are binding them up in. Uh, sometimes trafficking is not sexual. It can be labor, but there's all kinds of ways that um, they can get a kid and then an adolescent and then a young adult to behave with quotes around it in their sense. All right, let's go to our panel quickly and get some comments, last comments. Lori, would you like to start out with that? Uh, you did a lot of uh, <laughs> traveling around, but in a short time, because people in their other ages are, are still doing it. The bottom line is anytime there are drugs involved near or anywhere where you could think you could get, stay the hell away from them because that's the cycle that's going to keep completing itself if you let it. Drugs have to leave totally, no matter what they do. And I went through the same thing. You know, I have a, a bipolar son, so I've, I've, you know, seen a lot too. And he's never been better. Um and away from the people like you've been around, they're connected to drugs, and you've got to stay away from them, no matter what. Even if you're lonely, and stay away from oh, them. Oh, I would never, I would never do drugs again. I have full confidence, complete. All and right. Thank you. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> yeah, I've never had confidence like I do now, so that's how I know, right? You're gonna hang out with us too, aren't you? You're gonna stay close to us, right? Amanda? Oh, definitely. 
Yeah, I want to. I definitely am going to. I'm going to keep coming at least once or twice a week, and I want to come back and sometime if you'd like, if you ever need. I would love to go into details about what happened in that year and a half. You know, um, because there were many, like the Texas story. There were times when um, I had very horrific things happen. Yeah, but that's where you get into like the SRA type stuff. So um, yeah. being on a, on a Stop Child Abuse Now show is not a one-time thing. Some people have been here four or five times, but they have to wait some period of time to allow other people to come on, too. So I generally say if you can wait, you know, nine months, a year, we'll have you back over and over and over, you know, because we want to know, and we want to, we want to have the sense of uh, people participating, and we also want to know, have a sense of how they got on their healing journey and what's happened to them since they first told their story. All right, Jerry, let me get totally. a quick um, comment from you, and, uh, and and then we'll go back to final comments from Amanda. Well, uh, Amanda, I just want to say keep coming back. It only works if you work it. Um, what you. you What you've been through has been horrendous, and this all stems from childhood abuse. Um, keep working through the material um, that, I've give, that I've given you earlier in, in our meeting. And, yeah. um, you know, uh, constantly work at that. It's a lot of hard work. But I commend you for coming on the show tonight. I think you've done a great job. Thank you. And if anybody wants to, like, add me, uh, did you ever link my Facebook? Yes. Yeah, I have. You guys did? Awesome. I would love for anybody to reach out. If you have a similar story, if you can give me some insight about trafficking or SRA or anything from childhood even, um, I would love to hear from anybody. If anyone ever needs someone to pray with them, I would love to. So I just wanted to say that. (laughs) Okay. That sounds great. All right. Well, we were very grateful to have such a great show here tonight. Now, I didn't expect that, you know, early in the week, to be perfectly honest, I was panicking because we didn't have any guests. And we got we had a crew of great guests in the end, and we capped it off with a really terrific uh, input and story from Amanda Carpenter from Idaho, who just uh, was telling her story for the first time and is becoming a NASCA family, is a NASCA family member. We definitely want her to be involved with our organization, which needs volunteers. And we also invite you, the listener, to come back, as she said, she might, uh, you know, weekly, daily, whatever you want, um, and participate because we will, um, we will, we have all kinds of things that we can offer you uh, that are all free off the NASCA website uh, or the radio show or the healing group, the recovery group, which is on Zoom on uh, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and, and Sundays. You'll find information about that meeting on the front page of the NASCA website, kind of low on the page, on the home page. Uh, you know, there's a, a banner that says Zoom, and you just read about it, and the, the meeting number is there. So three times a week with that, five times a week with this. Uh, always something going on. <laughs> we have lots of phone numbers for you, for individuals in our group, who because um, we don't have an 800 number you know, or uh, a service like that. So we all just put our phone numbers in there, and anybody can call anybody else anytime they want. Uh, Amanda also mentioned our Facebook 
group or her her Facebook page. We find that Facebook and LinkedIn are, um, but Facebook primarily uh, are really great ways for people to stay in touch with each other. So we use them fully. And uh, you'll find NASCA has an open group, a closed group, uh, a fan page for Stop Child Abuse Now. <laughs> and uh, and there are some, there are a few places, I think there's a Montana, NASCA and Montana group, <laughs> but whatever. And please take advantage of all of these that you can. All right, I, again, I want to thank uh, Jerry and Lori for coming on to support the show tonight. It really means a lot to a person like Amanda that she, you know, has hears from people, people who um, who wanted her, you know, want nothing from her except her own recovery, right? And Amanda, God Absolutely. bless you, and thank you very much for uh, being here this evening. We had a wonderful time with you, and you, you're going to come back soon to tell another part of your story. How's that? <laughs> Yes, I am so happy I came. The enemy tried to keep me. Good. Okay, sorry. Love Talk Radio.